between my legs, between my legs, go. The squirrel was like running between the legs and then try and flip the squirrel. Somatic sexologist Morgan Penn is back with Hayley Sproul for a new season of Sex.Life. So more and more little pets started appearing and some horses for the pony play. Sex.Life, a new episode every Wednesday. Listen on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Wild Secrets. G'day and welcome to the Basin Reserve, a special installation oh, of the are. BYC as we're sitting in the Export Gold New Zealand Cricket Museum at the Basin. It's uh, Paul Ford here, uh, out on assignment with the one and only Dylan Cleaver, CEO of The Bounce. This is what we've dreamed of doing, Dylan, with the BYC, is actually getting out and about. And lovely to be reporting to you from the ground. And we're going to give you a bit of a rundown, a bit of the, a feel of the vibe, some of... Uh, I guess some pithy observations from Dylan and then some slightly intoxicated ones from me. But that's okay. It'll be, it should be a, a reasonable mix. Um, as the boys mentioned, Australia 147 for four. And I don't want to start on a negative, Dylan, but I'm going to. This partnership's giving me the heebie jeebies. Yeah, Mitchell Marsh looks like he's batting on a different pitch from everyone else. Just come out and started smoking it from ball. Of course, New Zealand won the toss. A cheer from the crowd when they won the toss, which I guess gives you an indication that we feel like we need everything to fall in our favour for this to work. And then well, I've taken my high heels off. I think it's fair to say that Steve Smith and Usman Khawaja let the air out of the balloon a bit with a, a fairly superb uh, or technically very sound opening partnership. Yeah, it was a bit of a. It was a real uh, first day, first session test match grind when you've been inserted into bat. I guess we're kind of used to the the uh, flourishing shots, the aggression, the annoying psychopath behaviour from David Warner. Of course, T's not there, and it was left to the the new man, but the old face, Bubble Boy Steve Smith, and the Muslim koala Usman Kawaja. And Australia, of course, went to. Uh, the, the, the break, it went to lunch and they were 62 for one with that wicket just before uh, the, the lunchtime break, DC. Yeah, that wicket felt super important, didn't it? And it was actually nothing more than was deserved because although Kawaja and Smith batted very well, they had to bat well because as a collective, I thought New Zealand bowled really well. They hit their spots, had moved around enough. It was still a surprise to see Smith nick it because he looked quite imperious at times. There was one cover drive he hit of Southie where you went, oh boy, this could be a long day if he's cover driving on a green wicket against New Zealand's premier seam bowler. But they pulled their lengths back a little bit. They bowled very well. Matt Henry got it to nick out. And then in that first hour after lunch, again as a collective, one of the better bowling efforts from the Black Caps in recent times, I thought. Yeah, well, that's the thing, and I guess we haven't talked about the team selections because you'll be well and truly aware of uh, what's gone on there, but it's just right-arm pace bowling from New Zealand, and I guess in one sense, oh my God, it's just an absolute, it could potentially be a smorgasbord and the Australians could have adapted to the buffet, but it hasn't gone like that. They've actually showed a lot of discipline, kept it often outside that off stump, and and, uh, you wouldn't say there's been millions of chances, but the Australians certainly haven't been able to get away up until the last 11 overs. Yeah, again, Mitchell Marsh came in and made it look different. It did crack me up when in the last over or a couple of overs before the tea break, New Zealand brought on some variation, which was Daryl Mitchell, again, right arm, medium pace, just a little bit slower than all the other right arm, medium paces who range between probably Southie and your high 120s, low 130s, to Willow Rourke, who, who can probably hit that 140s, although you probably be at his most comfortable around the high 130s, 
to 140. Uh, I thought, again, he looked impressive. His bounce is awkward, obviously. Uh, but Matt Henry, the pick of the bowlers, and there was just... Uh, Post-lunch, where, dare I say it, he had Hadley-esque kind of control and the ball that the ball that crashed through Kawaja's defences was just a magnificent piece of bowling. High praise, high praise indeed. Uh, yes, and I guess going back to that, the, the team selections just for a moment, were you surprised that uh, the, the uh, fast bowler from Northern Districts was put into the team rather than the off-spinner from Northern Districts? The left-arm orthodox spinner, yeah, I was a little bit, just because uh, you mentioned this on the BYC full podcast, that all the noises out of Gary Stead was that, yeah, we might have got it wrong in Hamilton. We really could have used a bit of left-arm spin. Here they've clearly looked at the wicket and thought, right, it's a seam bowler's wicket. Uh, so we're, we're going to be happy if we do have to bowl a bit of spin in the third innings to share it between Phillips and, and Ravindra. But still, I mean, I, I like the idea of a specialist spinner, but if you're not going to bowl him, what's the point? Uh, but, yeah, I, I, again, I'm surprised because, as we've mentioned, four right-arm medium paces in the same kind of pace range. If they were going to go an all-seam attack, there's the spectre of Wagner, I guess, hanging over this test. And hasn't that been a funny little sidebar to proceedings? I tell you, it's not, he's, he's literally hanging over and hanging around at this test match. He's in a high-vis vest. He's sitting on the bench with Henry Nichols. Um, and I'll tell you, the other person that's on there, and thank you for doing this piece of research, I'm obsessed with the substitute fielder. And you've gone and done some digging and found out that it's Sam French, a young uh, young cricketer here from, from Wellington. Can we just have a can we just just let me just indulge me for one second? Can we just pick the twelfth man? Can just be the absolute best fielder in New Zealand every single time? Is there a rule against that, DC? I don't think so. Although remember Ricky punching through that massive tantrum in the two thousand and five Ashes when England kept on taking off their lumbering fast bowlers and putting on these whippets in the covers, one of whom ran punching out a guy called Gary Pratt, who I don't think did another thing anywhere near as noteworthy his entire career as run out um, Ricky Ponting at Trent Bridge. So I don't think there's a rule against it. Is it ethical? Who cares? We're playing Australia, for, for God's sake. So, yeah. And, and uh, look, as opposed to the T20 series, it has been nice to see that when edges and catches have gone to hand, they've been taken this time round. We should talk about that for, for a moment. If we just take a, a moment to have a think about the crowd and, and so on. Of course, David Warner called New Zealand cricket crowds the most boorish and um, poorly, most poorly behaved cricket crowd in the world, which um, in my head probably makes it about the tenth worst behaved crowd in Australasia. Uh, if we there's some unusual maths going on there, but the vibe in the crowd, from my perspective, I was just going through. There's three Australian tour groups here. There's the uh, the, the dangerously old people who are up by the bowler's arm and we're really waiting for the massive southerly to kick in and there could be some, some wilting up there, I'd say. Uh, the medics will be keeping a close eye on them up behind the, the sight screen and the RA Vance stand. Then there's a group that's uh, it's called Lukey Sparrow. He's a, a chef in a Formula... It used to be a chef in the Formula One uh, circuit and then used to take the, I guess, the off-season off and go around waving his flag with a, with a bunch of Australian fans. And then we saw... Big Merv Hughes, actually, as we came through with our tickets, it was actually with Merv Hughes. And, uh, yeah, he's here with a big uh, group from the Fanatics. I have it on record. Uh, we bumped into Ben Hurley earlier, and he tried to vox pops Merv Hughes, and Merv Hughes responded, I don't know if you understood what he said. He said, no, mate, I'm watching the cricket. So uh, 
Yeah, Matthews is here, but he is being extremely professional in his uh, approach. That's the Australian side of things. Did you, have you seen any sights? Have you seen any ejections? Have you seen any sort of carnage in the New Zealand crowd or any potential for that sort of thing, DC? I've certainly seen potential for Saturday. This feels like an entree, the matinee session maybe. Uh, it's, it's always a little bit curious starting a test on a Thursday. A lot of people will have work tomorrow. So it does. It's got all the hallmarks of a warm-up for bigger things ahead. I think tomorrow it will get gradually a little bit more uh, intoxicated, uh, particularly if New Zealand gets a bat tomorrow. I think there will be a, a lot more of a buzz in the crowd. And then on Saturday, I'm picking that goes full noise feral. I was talking to a, a mate on the embankment who's sort of a, a basin old-timer, and uh, he was saying that... So, so today's game is sold out, 6,500 people. He was saying that they used to get 12,000 people in here. I'm just actually, I was been sitting here on the embankment looking around going, holy moly, how the hell are they going to get, uh, two, you know, twice as many, how, how could they possibly have got twice as many people into here? We all know what the toilet situation ended up, which was everyone used to just line up on that back fence, basically weighing into the Mount Victoria Tunnel from a geographical point of view. But, I mean, the setup here, day one, Basin Reserve, it really is quite a magical day. Yeah, isn't it? And obviously looking forward to the days to come and looking forward to doing this again with you tomorrow. Uh, if not with you tomorrow, we'll drag some um, poor bugger down to the museum and, yeah, for the rest of the test. I hope you've enjoyed listening to us prattle on and we'll hand you back to the team at the Export Bear Garden Studio. This week's episode of Between Two Beers, we hear Megan Compain's remarkable journey from Basketball Hall of Famer to All Blacks commercial manager and all the best stories in between. And and Michael Jordan was basically walking down the hallway getting held up by two of his, you know, people and he was done. And that was the game where he hit the winning buzz of a shot and took it back to game six where I think they won in, in Chicago. So we sort of crossed in the in the hallway, and it was just sort of one of those. Whoa! Like if I was on, you know, back at, if it was now, you'd be snapping away like yeah. social media. Between two beers, listen on iHeartRadio or anywhere you get your podcasts.